The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast, the number four technology podcast in Uruguay, and number 18 in Finland, and actually number 29 in South Africa. Now, that's pretty high up there. I mean, I'm pretty sure we've gotten to like number 13 in the US, at least on Stitcher for technology podcasts, but it did jump up 205 spots in South Africa last week for some reason. So our South African fans deserve a shout out. And everyone else around the world, get your shit together. Come on. We're trying to get in the top 10 everywhere. You know, Trinidad and Tobago's been had our back for a while. And they're kind of making you look ridiculous. Frankly, Mozambique's starting to make everyone look ridiculous, too. I'm going to be honest, guys. So remember to tell your friends to listen. And uh, all right, I'm done. I'll let my co-host introduce himself. I'm your host, Tom. I'm Dan. And I'm also curious if that jump from 205 to 29 is just like 30 more people listen to it in South Africa or something. You know, another thing occurred to me. I responded to UFD Tech on Twitter. He's from South Africa. I was like, could that have literally been it? It could be it, I suppose. And like, that just brought in, like you said, like another 50 people. I I would assume, I guess I I, I don't know. I have no idea how many people listen to technology podcasts in South Africa. I would assume more than 50 listen to us there, but I have no clue, Dan. They're like developed country and stuff, but I'm just curious. What if it's just like 30 more people listen to it and that makes it the number 29 tech podcast in uh, South Africa. What if this is like an untapped market? Like South Africa Mm. is ripe for technology podcasts and that's what's going on. (laughs) I mean, that might be what's going on. Yeah. So to our fans there, thank you. Share with your friends. You know, uh, I don't know. I get we don't have actually any corrections, emissions or there's a couple goofy reader mails that we call important questions but I actually rolled them next to the Tiger Lake review because <laughs> they were all about Tiger Lake. No surprise. So I, don't, I think we're just going to jump into it pretty soon. But I mean, before we do, I mean, as we try to warm up at least for five minutes, I mean, I don't know. How you doing, Dan? How's Massachusetts? I'm pretty good, I guess. Busy. Busy with that grad school life and stuff. The gaming sessions with our group of friends. Dan's the last one to join every time for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and to be fair, when I did... You were very leaked. We were were playing Grounded on Xbox Game All Access or whatever it is on PC, whatever it's called. There's like four words for some reason. Should just be called Xbox like Access or something, I think. But uh, we were playing Grounded, which I guess we could talk about that for a while. You joined it like a few hours late. Yeah, I mean, Grounded was fun, but it's not done, guys. That's, That's my opinion. It's just not done. Yeah, I, I to be fair, I just had something to go uh like lab event thing to go to and I didn't realize that I would be there till 11:30. 
I thought I would be there until like nine or something, but I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think you were like, yeah, usual time, like 8.30 p.m., I'll be back. And then it was like 10, and we're like, well, all right, ever, let's uh, get killed by some spiders. I'd say, because we're not going to kill any of the spiders. They were yeah. impossible to kill and grounded, by the way. Um, and uh, build a grass fort. And uh, we'll attempt to build a grass fort before all of us crash out of the <laughs> server. <laughs> Although one of our friends who hosted the server, he usually has the least stable PC and uh, no crashes for him that night. Yeah, I think I decided to stop playing after the game just, it didn't crash. My PC didn't crash. The, there wasn't some error. Oh, no, no. Like, it clearly was the game. Yeah, it was. The game, no, the game literally was just like, boop, the window not open anymore. And after it did that about three times for me in 20 minutes, I decided I was done playing Grounded. <laughs> oh, I didn't remember it happened that many times in 20 minutes. I remember it's like, oh, don't leave, Dan. Come on. And it's like every five minutes you were leaving and we're complaining that you're complaining. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, to be clear, that is why I said, I think I'm done playing Grounded, maybe forever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it definitely could use some uh, work, but it is early access. So, I mean, I guess that can be the early banter portion. Outside of that, I will say this up front in the beginning of the podcast as well. I am, as people in the Discord and on Patreon know, working on a big RDNA 2 video. It's coming together. I'm not sure when this podcast will come out. I actually think I might have it come out a day early or half a day early again. Again, in an attempt kind of to make up for the weeks where it's been coming out late. I mean, I know, and I, and I think next week it's going to come out late too, by the way, Dan. <laughs> like, I think it might even be a Friday episode. So I'm, I'm trying to get these out early when we can, when it makes sense to release them. And so, yeah, I, don't, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think this podcast... It, it's not going to talk too much about RDNA 2 outside of reader mails. And I'm not ignoring the dump of information from like the Mac OS leak about RDNA 2 or all the other rumors swirling around. It's just, I'm not, I know a lot of the rumors swirling around right now are fake guys, frankly. And I'm very, very confident in the video I'm putting together. And I'm just taking my time. So just give it a few days after this podcast, at most, actually, I think. And uh, then you'll just have my full assessment of it. And then we can finally talk about RDNA 2, not just about these random rumors coming out, but like my full assessment based on inside information I have that I haven't said publicly yet, which I have mm -hmm. been publicly saying things, as you know, like I confirmed on Twitter, it's GDR6 guys. And, yeah. and, it, and I confirmed in my last video, it is way more efficient than Ampere. So, I mean, before we dive into this episode, I, I do want to say, you know, guys, I think Ampere is going to, it doesn't really matter, right? If RDNA 2 beats the 3090, I, I think it's not probably going to. And it's even going to be a toss up with the 3080. I'll say that now. But it's going to be so much more efficient and better priced, in my, uh, from what I can tell, that it's going to make just Ampere look like a bad architecture. The focus at AMD seems to be on the knowledge that they really don't need to win at everything. They just need to be close to the top Ampere cards, if not trading blows, and then release something with stable drivers, reasonable availability, and good software that works at launch day. I think that's the focus because that's really all they need to do. They don't need to win anything. They just need to have a solid, competent launch, and I think people will flock to them, and they're just trying to nail it. So. You'll see in my video. I, I don't think they're going to end up beating the 3090, but 
given the reviews of the 3090, even if they don't, that's it's just not that high of a bench, much higher of a bar to clear than what uh, <laughs> the 3080 was. So no matter what, if it ends up beating the 3080, that will be seen as it's almost the 3090 pretty much. Right. And, you know, the 3090, there are some games where you can find where it's like over 15% better. Sure. Yeah. Than the 3080. But it's about 11% better in 4K, which again, I, I do think with the 3090, let's talk about 4K, guys. Like it's, the other resolutions are pretty much mastered. Although again, there are some games in 1440p where I don't think it's completely CPU bound. Um, at least at least that's the case with the 3080, which really disappointed me on 1440p performance. But um, I, I think you got to understand that like, there's probably a reason NVIDIA is focusing on 8K in its marketing with the 3090. And that once you get down to lower resolutions, a more efficient architecture probably has a greater advantage relative to whatever it is trading blows with Ampere at those lower resolutions and that. I I just think it's going to be close enough that as long as it has good availability, efficiency, and working drivers, this is going to be the card, guys. As Gamers Nexus said, the ball's handed to AMD. It's up to AMD to screw this up. Yeah, the 3090 is not that impressive of a card. I mean... I thought it was funny uh, seeing this on Reddit. I saw like a post like that. I mean, it's kind of pointless under 4K. And then someone said, um, well, what if you're running a double 1440p gaming setup? So <laughs> essentially 4K. Well, that I is mean, 4K. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, well, almost 4K. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I get why they're uh, pressing that 8K, even though 8K is, isn't even a real thing yet. But... <laughs> But, and this is something I'll talk about in that RDNA 2 video. You know, this isn't even like I remember when NVIDIA marketed the, I think it was Titan Maxwell as a the first true 4K gaming card. Mm-hmm. And part of that marketing was, well, if you have G-Sync, which was new at the time, you know, it works great, but it was still getting like 45 to 50 frames per second in 4K. That was better than here, where it seems like the 3090 struggles to get above 30 frames per second in dozens of games. You know, I mean, so it's not worth marketing 8K unless it really is doing 8K, at least as well as I would say we accept we expect 60 FPS now. This isn't like the 290X launch where you could almost say 30 FPS is acceptable. You know, this is unacceptable at those frame rates in 8K. And so if AMD let's say perhaps is focusing on an architecture that maximizes performance at specific resolutions for each die, Navi 21, Navi 22, Mm -hmm. Navi 23. Let's say I knew that might be what they're doing. Maybe that is a way better scenario. Who cares if Navi 21's performance falls apart in 8K? If it can be around a 3080 and 4K, who cares if Navi 22 can't do 4K as well as a you know, whatever, right? It, no one's buying this card for 4K. You can just get the, you know, $600, whatever it is, Navi 21 card. And it, and it seems like that might be what AMD is doing. And, and it just feels like there's just a lot of hubris here with NVIDIA and they lost the plot. Yeah, I mean, and you always, I feel like when a new resolution is trying to be pushed, it, they always jump the gun by like two generations, frankly, on like the first true 4K or 8K gaming card where, yeah, I mean, I guess if you like really mess with the numbers and the settings, you can kind of make it look like an 8K card, but it's not. Yeah. 
But anyways, I think we've said enough. I think we'll get into rambling if we continue to talk about this. We're not ignoring RDNA 2, and we're going to get to some reader mails that mention it later. But, uh, you know, it, it, we're just, I'm holding saying a lot about it until I get that video out. All right, let us move on then. All right, so Amiable Chief writes in and he says, Everyone's been so focused on GPU wars, we almost seem to have forgotten Zen 3 will be out in three weeks. Okay, not really, probably actually three weeks, but you know what I mean. It's pretty close. Is there any information you can share about the upcoming Zen 3 release? As there's almost exactly three weeks to the reveal of this, at least. So, I mean, I would just say uh, I haven't really been looking at Zen 3 a lot recently because of the focus on Ampere and RDNA 2, of course, but also because I feel like we know what it is and we've known what it is for months. You know, my early Zen 3 information turned out to be a I honestly don't remember. The SMT4 part was wrong, of course, um, at least for the main version. There could be a custom one, it sounds like, guys, that has four threads per core, but you know, we'll see if that happens. Um, but since I would say, mm, I don't know, late even 2019, end of 2019, we've known Zen 3 is going to be about 20% better than Zen 2. It could take the gaming crown from Intel and that some people will not be as impressed as others, but I get the feeling that most tech tubers are going to be blown away by Zen 3 because when Zen 2 is so much more efficient and better than whatever Intel has in any segment right now across the board, for the most part, adding another 20% on top of that is just going to be like twisting the knife. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, do you have anything you've been wondering about Zen 3, Dan? Like, have we been ignoring it too much? I mean, no, I I, I feel like, Yeah, what you said, maybe a few percentage points will be off by uh, one direction or another. Maybe performance will be 22% better or something, or maybe it'll be 18. But no, I feel feel like we pretty much know what Zen 3 is. It'll probably be a very good architecture, but I don't think it's um, going to seem as big as Zen Plus to Zen 2 was. No, but let us get to the first story, which is about it that I did add the last minute amd ryzen 9 5900x vermeer 12 core and 24 threads zen 3 cpu allegedly up to 5 gigahertz with a 150 watt tdp this comes from wccf tech and quoting the amd ryzen 9 5900x is said to feature an ipc improvement of up to 20 percent one of the main areas of improvement where amd has put a lot of efforts into tuning zen 3 is the clock frequencies as well as such the 5900x is said to reach boost clocks of up to 5 gigahertz that's a plus 300 megahertz improvement over the 3900 XT and 400 megahertz improvement over the original 3900X. The boost clock is for a single core with all core boost frequencies still under 5 gigahertz barrier as far as we can tell, but this is still a decent uplift on the chip. The details also highlight that Ryzen 9 5900X will ship with a TDP of 150 watts. Yeah, that would tell me the all core boost is significantly increased over Zen yeah. 2, by the way. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a, what, almost 50% increase in TDP, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I so, mean, yeah, 105 that's... watts, yeah. And, and, and you know, a, a large part of what happened with Zen 2 is it was, fi- it was tweaked in the final design to be hyper-efficient because, and again, I've covered this in multiple podcast videos, Zen 2's performance, the very least in gaming, doesn't really scale above 4.4 gigahertz, guys. Like, if you really push the fabric clock, you can get it to scale a little bit past that. But there was just no point. It was better for AMD to tweak it 
to just run all core around 4 to 4.2 gigahertz because that's all you're getting. You know, once you get above 4.5, it's not any better. And I, I've long suspected and even heard that Zen 3 largely fixes this issue. I mean, we saw Renoir scale better with clock speeds as well. You know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of in between it. And, you know, so with that in mind, I, I do expect like, so I don't remember the base. So if we're, well, let's say this, right? I have a 3950X. Let's say I get all core turbos of around 4 to 4.2 gigahertz. You know, most of the cores are usually around 4.2 under heavy load. And then some of the lower cores still, you know, they're around 3.9. It wouldn't surprise me if this all cores to 4.5 gigahertz far more often and that, in fact, when it's at 4.5 gigahertz, that's where you're seeing higher IPC and it's actually scaling better as well at those clock speeds. So I could see some games, some games where the, where the performance increases more than 20%. But there will be somewhere it's probably less than 15. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely, like you said, with Renoir, I, I feel like Renoir was kind of a peek into what Zen 3, some of what Zen 3 will be. And, and the th- same with the 3300X, which you can't yeah, buy yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think we'll see. It, I don't think it's a surprise to see that they hit 5 gigahertz because there's actually probably a reason to hit 5 gigahertz on Zen 3. Exactly, which I think a lot of people are missing. It's like, oh, but they didn't hit five gigahertz. It was like, well, for good reason. They chose not to, right? It, like, if what would make a Intel look sillier, hitting five gigahertz at 125 watts, or should we tweak the design to just really stay at <laughs> below the power usage they're using? Well, I mean, it's not going to do as well in gaming, but we're not going to win anyway, so we might as well just trounce them in efficiency. I mean, yeah, I think that's a better solution so (laughs) the stick bug syndicate writes in and he says will zen 3 be able to reach the fabled five giga shards (laughs) i think so uh stick bug i i think there's almost no doubt i you know i i actually did let me say this i almost forgot to say this in that art uh that wccf tech article that's actually covering a leak from some other channel so that's in the description as well but I actually did reach out to a source about this, and it's like, just to be clear, guys, the naming's confirmed. That is the name of it. 5000 series is confirmed, like, for sure. And uh, he couldn't confirm for sure that it's hitting 5 gigahertz yet, but it's almost certainly is. So mm-hmm. that's why I decided to cover this story, too, because I was able to independently confirm this is probably all true. Um, and, and I mean, again, you know, it's like, I just don't think this should... Zen, you know, seven nanometers improved a lot. I don't think it's crazy to think they'll be able to add a couple, a few hundred extra megahertz to this. <laughs> yeah. Echo Ekam Star writes in and he says, Hi, Tom, do you think it makes sense to upgrade to an R7-3700X in the next few months as it will probably get cheaper with the release of Zen 3? Let's say it goes down to 200 to 250 for a 3700X. Ah, I could get to 150, guys. I mean, that seems to keep happening. Um, or should I go and build a new PC? I'm currently running an R7-1700. Oh, I see the question. With a B350 platform, so we can't go to Zen 3. So I would only need to change the CPU if I stayed with Zen 2 and it got cheaper. Am I missing a lot by not having access to PCIe 4.0? Oh, I see his motherboard can't support 4.0. Um, you know what? I'm going to be honest. This is just my opinion. I don't know what workloads you do. I don't know if this would affect your work, right? But in my opinion, just keep the 1700 for a while and wait for Zen 4. You have eight cores, 16 threads. I mean, are you desperate to get to 
you know, 120 hertz gaming this fall. If you are, you're going to have to upgrade, dude, like you are. You're going to want PCIe 4.0 for future games. You're going to want, you know, Zen 3 could be 50% better at gaming than the 1700, frankly, <laughs> you know, if you add it all up generation over generation over generation by them. So, I, I mean, that that's my advice. I just, you know, whenever it comes down to this, it's going to require me to move a bunch of components. My question comes down to, are you stuck with like a quad core right now? Because if you have a 6700K, upgrade now. Upgrade to Zen 3. If you don't, but you have eight, you have 16 threads. Uh, it, if you're happy, I don't think you need to upgrade. You know, just slum it longer and Zen 4 will blow you away. I mean, think of how much fun that will be to upgrade to. Yeah, and I would definitely agree with at a minimum, not getting the 3700X. That's just, it's not a lateral move, obviously. Like the 3700X is substantially better, but at least the way I view upgrading PC components, that's not, that's not a, a worthy upgrade, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, you mean just in general, because me and you like yeah. giant performance increases. Yeah, because I don't like to spend several hundred dollars to get some incremental <laughs> increase in performance. 0x000FF4 writes in and he says, with the leaks of Quadro 6000 in mind, do you think that we will see Ampere Titan in quarter one of 2021 when, oh, when there will be availability of two gigabyte GDR6X memory chips? So he's like, yeah, he's talking about double capacity GDR6X chips, which don't, which aren't there right now. So, um, or I guess it might be quadruple capacity. Um, I don't know. I know that they're considering launching one. And I think, you know, okay, let me ask you this, Dan. So let's say RDNA 2 is our wildest dreams come true. Let's say it beats the 3090. And I want everyone to understand, I don't think it will. I, like, mm-hmm. not, not across the board, certainly. So will there be one game where it wins at like 1440p? Yeah, maybe, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to beat it across the board. Like, what if it did? Do you think NVIDIA should launch a Titan or should they just cut prices and try to rush out and then seek a new generation sooner? Because that's kind of what I've yeah. been thinking about. I think it's worth launching a Titan if AMD trades blows with the 3080. But if they beat the 3090, I mean, what's the point in launching a Titan? Do you want AMD? What if AMD improves drivers then and then they start marketing? We beat NVIDIA's $3,000 Titan and our card's a grand or something. Because like, AMD can counter that. I believe the top gaming chip, 16 gigabytes right now. If NVIDIA launched a Titan for three grand that AMD thought they could beat with a two grand card, they probably would. So yeah. do you really want to give AMD that mindshare opening? Just uh, be, coming out like six months later with like a kind of a refresh generation might be a better idea than than countering with a Titan. Because I don't even know how much better a Titan would perform than a 3090 now that I'm thinking about it. Right. So I think maybe they could push it like the, the quad, you know, the A6000 is 48 gigabytes of normal GDR6. So let's say you get the right capacities to go to 48 gigabytes of GDR6X, which they're, they're not going to do in the professional card. It would use too much energy and it would, uh, I don't think that it has ECC options. So no. You know, but they could yeah. take a, basically an A6000 and slap GDR6X on it. You know, I, I think they would either do 24 or 48 gigabytes. They could probably push it 
to like 20 gigabit per second, but I really don't think they can go much higher than that as standard. And so I think that combined with the higher boost clocks, so I do know A6000 boosts higher than the 3090, despite having more SMs. Um, I think they could probably push this to like 7% more than the 3090. <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe it would be better 10% more at lower resolutions because of the higher clocks. But, but yeah, so that's all they could add, you know. And then if AMD manages to beat that, oof. I don't know how it would end up working out. Maybe there would be some giant victory lamp that would uh, trick everyone. I, I don't know. But I, I think maybe a refresh, uh, uh, regab, uh, regrouping, and then launching a new series earlier would be smarter. Right. And, and so I, I think they're just kind of stuck right now for the next six months. I guess there's, so there's two things I want to say to that, right? The reason they would probably launch a Titan is because they would be able to give it the professional driver support as well. So you have to remember mm-hmm. that too, which the 3090 doesn't have. But you know, to those, I want to address this to those that say that would be insane if they rushed out a new generation or mid next year. That's what they did with Fermi. The initial yeah. Fermi generation was a disaster, and they surprised AMD when they were able to launch an updated generation, basically like six to eight months later. Like they just got it out that fast. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was six months. Like <laughs> there's no yeah. time. And you know, so and what could that generation look like? Oh, I think it's obvious. I think they make the. 3080 have a couple more SMs, hopefully eight nanometer, they get a better grip on controlling it. And then they give it 12 gigabytes of normal 16 or even 18 gigabit GDR6. So power usage is better under control. I think they could launch a 12 gigabyte, I guess it'd be called the 4080. That's effectively a fixed 3080 that's close to a 3090. And then I think they could launch a 3080 Ti above that that is again i don't know maybe they just use normal gdr6 that like and i've heard 19 gigabit per second normal gdr6 is being tested who knows you know like they just launch something like that and get it all under control and then that's when they launch the titan once yeah. it's matured more you know i see that as a more likely scenario at this point i could entirely be wrong though again they're considering launching a titan so they might just even do it because some people want a titan for non-gaming tasks if they think it's going to sell well, they have a good incentive to release it. Yeah. I and mean, I guess, again, we still don't know AMD's full software stack for RDNA 2, so they could maybe just market it with like some giant push simultaneously with like DLSS 2.5 or 3.0 and say, hey, we're going to make sure it's in most games now, not just five. Yeah. Katanji writes in and says, will the 3090 get access to the Titan drivers or will they not give this to the 3090 and just only put that in the Titan they haven't announced yet? Yeah, I guess so that touches on what we were talking about too. So if they decided to just kind of forego launching a Titan, I could see them maybe doing that actually. But at the same yeah. time, at, you, you know, yeah, I think I could see them doing that, I guess. But I think it's more likely they'll just insist on holding that for the Titan, to be honest. Especially if they did release a Titan, I don't think they would put the professional drivers on them. But yeah, I, I agree. Okay, so let's see. Let's move on then to officially story number two, RTX 3090 reviews and Quadro 6000 leaks. So I I have several links in the description, guys. Um, You know, I have one from Gamers Nexus, which we've got to get that guy on Broken Silicon, by the way. His latest review of the 3090, was it was awesome. 
You know, n- not an Apple fan pointed out, I think for good reason, that half of tech tubers are turning into tech influencers that don't even do real reviews. They just go, whoa, it's in 8K because NVIDIA paid them to. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, not you know, Gamers Nexus certainly didn't do that. He literally, he basically directly made fun of other channels by having someone hand him money while he said 8K gaming doesn't make sense. I mean, this was awesome. This was so cool, 8K <laughs> gaming. And then he got handed another dollar. It was the coolest thing ever. Like, because that, that that's clearly what's going on with other channels. You know, I did a combination video, 3090 analysis, a quadro leak. So let's just talk about that first. We talked about it briefly on the previous die shrink, but let's talk about it fully here. I mean, what what were your takeaways from the RTX 3090 reviews? I feel like it was an interesting moment where a graphics card uh review was it was universally panned it seemed like or cringeworthy yeah like the uh videos for the reviews were hilarious like linus tech tips name of his review was making uh nvidia's uh ceo mad on it did you watch that one though dan no i haven't watched you know since then i've checked it i think he just named it that to save face he kind of okay he kind of just said good things about it in the video dan and then changed it to that the last minute after launching his video an hour after gamers nexus okay and but yeah i mean i don't think so dan (laughs) hardware unboxed was 8k uh meme or something like that and yeah it's it it was 10 percent better than a 3080 like we said for more than double the money or more than $1,400 at a minimum, what it will turn out to be. So yeah, I don't see a reason to buy the 3090. I don't know. Yeah. I I think at the end of the day, I'm not sure what else there really is to say. You know, we talked about it for a good five to 10 minutes in the last die shrink, but you know, patrons get access to it, the uh, $2 tier. So there's that. That's, but you know, I think what I just said, what you just said in this broken silicon, I never want to hold, you know, hold important discussions from the main show, which this is the main show, but I don't know that I have much else to say. You know, I was just looking at Tech Power Up's, one of their reviews for an Asus 3090, you know, as I was, as part of my um, RDNA 2 research, just kind of comparing things back and forth between cards. And like the Asus one was hitting 480 watts overclocked for Tech Power Up. 480. That's that's insane. (laughs) It was an $1,800 card. So, you know, I, I... I'm sorry, guys. I, I just, no, I don't recommend it. And there's, I keep seeing it in the comments. Why are these guys obsessed with power usage? I'm not. It uses 480 watts, all right? It's literally a space heater, and that's going in your room. Like, I've never had a problem with 300-watt cards. I've never had a problem BIOS modding my Fury Nitro to the point where I bumped it down just a few megahertz from when the DVI port stopped working. That's how much I was willing to overclock it. But you know what? It was using under 330 or 350 watts then. 400 is insane. It's insane. It's an insanely power-hungry card that barely outperforms a card below it, but that card below it doesn't have enough RAM. I just don't have a lot of good things to say. I don't think they can actually afford to drop the price of the 3080. By much, but I know that the bomb is six hundred, six hundred dollars, Dan. I, I just got an update on average for AIBs. It's six hundred dollars before the markup for the thirty eighty. So they can't drop the price. Just so you guys know, like if they they could <laughs> drop it, like so. I don't know. Nvidia's in a corner there. I guess it's another probably like two hundred dollars worth of RAM or something on the thirty ninety. Yeah. So I guess they could afford to drop that to a thousand if they need to. 
But it's almost Maybe. like, what's the point? You know, I, there's so many mistakes. And I outlined that in the video that like, they really, really, really should have used GDR6. They should have put 12 gigabytes of GDR6 on the 3080. Normal GDR6, guys, because GDR6X is not just overclocked thir- uh, GDR6. Use it PAM4 signaling, and it's uh, clearly not panning out. It's clearly u- causing a bunch of heat. Igor's labs found this in his own testing, among other people. And so I just think 12 gigabytes over 384-bit bus, normal GDR6, 16 gigabit per second, that would actually be more bandwidth than 10 gigabytes of GDR6X. <laughs> that would actually be cheaper too, by the way. 12 gigabytes of normal GDR6 is cheaper than 10 gigabytes of GDR6X. And it could have just been like a 280-watt card based on the roadmap I've seen for Quadro and how their cards are configured with their TDPs. And I think, honest to God, I think the 3090 should have just been 24 gigabytes. Again, normal GDR6. Maybe 18 gigabits, gigabit per second if you need to. And guess what? It would have been a 300-watt card that is probably about the same performance because it wouldn't throttle as much and have as many heat issues. So I, I don't, something went wrong implementing GDR6X and I just can't recommend these cards, guys. I get why some people say like power usage sometimes are splitting hairs like, oh, 180 versus 200. No, this is getting to it where it's an issue where pa- your power supply might legitimately be an issue with a system if you have that. That power usage is unacceptable. Yeah, and 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 remember, well, it might be using like 330 to 350 watts most of the time. And we saw this start happening a lot with like, we saw this a lot with like Vega and especially the Fury series as well. Its amps are spiking way higher than what mm-hmm. it's averaged in. And that can just shut off a power supply, cause black screens. Yeah, the spikes are, well, the spikes can be what caused the failure. It's like, again, it's it's just, it seemed too good to be true. To some people, and, and it's not entirely because I, I do think I will do a video on how this could have been a much better launch, but it's it's just in its current iteration, I don't know how I could recommend getting these cards, you know. Doomberry writes in and he says, I think GDR6X could be a poison chalice. Yes, it looks good for marketing. I've heard a lot of people say that. I don't, I don't know. But the bandwidth difference is just not that worth it. 20% extra bandwidth versus 16 gigabit per second GDR6 in exchange for more heat and a higher cost. I presume the cost difference is bigger than the bandwidth difference. Oh no, it, I've been told it's certainly at least 20% more in cost uh, per chip. Why not just stick more RAM on your 3080 and call it a day? That's what I'm saying. NVIDIA needs to keep up their margins and GDR6X basically ensures they will have less VGRAM at comparable price points, correct? (laughs) Compared to AMD. Oh, and 8 gigs of GDR6 non-X on a $500 card in 2020. I really hope AMD is about to shove 12 gigabytes in NVIDIA's face because that doesn't feel right. But I guess it's cheaper, so I get it needs to have less VRAM then it's more expensive SKUs. He's talking about the 3070. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he just kind of touched on everything we just ended up talking about anyways. I really don't have much else to add to that except that AMD may be shoving 16 gigabytes in the 3070s space. <laughs> they may be shoving 12 gigabytes in the 3060s space. I mean, yeah. It'll cost gigabytes. less to make too. AMD's cards are going to cost less to make despite that. I mean, yeah, eight gigabytes for a $500 card is stupid. Like you could think you could do that years ago at this point. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I agree with everything he said. Yeah, (laughs) nothing to add. Yeah, Uh, FE02X says, do you think the RTX 3080 20 gigabyte will also be a triple slot design like the 3090? According to Igor's lab, the GDR6X on the 3080 10 gigabyte already hits up to 104 degrees under load. 
And remember, that's not the fastest GDR6X. It's practically underclocked. And this won't get better when both sides of the board hold VRAM. I suspect that changing to regular GDR6 for the 20 gigabyte version is not an option. Like, how many people are coming to this conclusion? <laughs> uh, do you think that these high temperatures might be bad for the card's longevity? Yes. Yeah. And also, uh, remember that it's AIB only. It's on AIBs to figure out. Based on what we've been seeing so far, yeah, they they haven't been doing a great job. Yeah, that's going to be an issue. <laughs> Potatotron, Weaver of Memes, writes in, and he says, from what I understand about Ampere is that there are two FB32 units per one int unit. Yeah, this could be the reason why Ampere is so inefficient. They have to keep the FP units online while they wait for the int calculations to finish. Do you think that the next generation of NVIDIA cards will remedy this by increasing int throughput, thereby allowing for a substantial increase in performance? Alternatively, do you see NVIDIA keeping the relative FP performance the same to ensure that professionals that do simulations continue to have an architecture catered to them? I mean, that's an interesting question, right? All I know about Hopper is that it sounds like they're trying to go to MCM. And I assume a rushed out version of Ampere if they actually do that next year, which I think they should. Again, I'm coming to that conclusion. Um you know, a rushed out fixed Ampere 4000 series. Mm -hmm. I assume that they won't have time to do that. So I think it's stuck there for now. It's hard for me to say what they're going to do in the future, guys. You know, they put 96 stream processors per SM and Kepler, and then they went down to like, I think 64. Now they're back up to 128. So there's all different types of things that they might do to fix this. I'm not really sure what they're going to do. What I would say about the inefficiency though is, Again, and I, I hinted at it earlier, I just feel like Ampere is the symbol of peak cockiness. No, it's not like Bulldozer. No, it's not like, you know, net burst out of Intel. Although I guess you might compare it to that, actually. But because it does bring more performance and it is crazy good at some tasks it was meant to be good at. But I just feel like this is NVIDIA. An architecture like this, one that's not like Maxwell, which Maxwell came after they got the shit scared out of them. Remember, Maxwell was starting to be designed after the HD 5000 series, eight mm-hmm. NVIDIA's lunch, the, the one generate one of the generations that actually outsold NVIDIA in market share consistently. You know, NVIDIA was losing market share, and Maxwell was them taking them seriously, making a true, frankly, mobile gaming generation that just focused on excellent gaming efficiency. Um, I think that's what AMD is doing now with RDNA 2. And I think NVIDIA just assumed they couldn't catch up. So they're like, let's just go all out. Let's just pack as many cores as we can in a gigantic die with big numbers. Let's, because it is impressive in certain respects. I think they just said, let's go all out. We don't need to worry about efficiency. They can't even beat the 37. They won't even be able to beat the 3070. So who cares? <laughs> that one will use 200 watts. And I think that was their assumption. And they assumed they could put Ampere on 7 nanometer EUV at Samsung. That fell through. They had TSMC as a fallback. That fell through. They were forced to use 8 nanometer, which can get close to N7P densities, right? Yeah. But that's about all you can say it can do. And I think, then I guess that's just my thesis. This is peacockiness. They thought they could throw everything to the wind because they were just going to beat AMD at everything because they wouldn't get close at any one thing. It turns out that might be wrong. And then their arrogance led them to use their backup backup node, which they didn't want to have to do. That, that, that's honestly my assessment. And I think it came at a good time for 
the marketing teams because uh, over the past like seven months, the entire conversation about performance has been like forced. Well, honestly, this entire generation to an extent of consoles has been turned to talking about teraflops as if teraflops is a perfect proxy for gaming. And now we finally see a doubling almost of compute performance in a single generation. The A6000 should hit 40 teraflops. The A6000 should hit 40. <laughs> yeah, so more than a doubling. And a a, a, mod, a, a good increase in performance, but I, I don't think we need to hammer home why that performance gain isn't that impressive from Ampere. But a, a modest performance gain and a more than doubling in compute performance. And the marketing team thought, oh, we can really shove down, what is it, like 30, uh, 36 teraflops for the uh, 3090? Yeah, we, we can really market that as crazy, which some people were just blown away by that. And I was just immediately like, really? So you're going to triple the teraflops of the 2080 Ti while adding 30, 40% more bandwidth? Like, this isn't going to be... Like there are people like this is going to double or triple performance. And it's like, no, I know they're saying they're going to. They're not. They're not going to, guys. Well, yeah, and that marketing only works until you actually uh, see the benchmarks and the results. And then, oh, yeah, that kind of (laughs) just deflates the entire argument that that uh, compute performance means gaming performance at all because it doesn't. Yeah, that's something I've had suggested to me too by some people I talked to that NVIDIA's marketing went wild. Like they were just like, all right, so it won't be as efficient as we hoped. We'll handle this, you know? Mm-hmm. And they just went, they just raised expectations so much that there's no way Ampere, I mean, what, I mean, look, they, they said double the performance of yeah. uh, Turing and it isn't, it's not even close. And and they they kind of made their own bed in that respect. I, I really do think in six months I'm going to end up doing a video looking back on Ampere. You know, one of those I've done them before revisionist history videos where I go, how could they have built a better architecture within reasonable constraints, right? And you know, because some people would within reasonable constraints. I mean, you can't be like, oh, what if they you know <laughs> used well, five nanometer? Like, it's like I'm not talking about. I'm saying like, what if they realized they had a problem last minute? Like early 2020, what could they have done to launch a more successful generation? You know, and, you know, part of that I think would actually be focusing on GDR6. Yeah. Apple Time Mac writes in and says, Tom, with the abysmal launch of the NVIDIA 3080 today, all of them sold out before we saw an add to cart button. Also, this is from the 3080 launch. Do you think that NVIDIA actually had stock or did they pretend to launch this product to build up height? And bot sniping actual small amounts. So we've had questions like this before. I think we had a question like this in the die shrink um, that we just did. Uh, I mean, no, NVIDIA is not uh, <laughs> hiring bots. or And I don't think they liked that bots bought it up either. I don't think NVIDIA liked that. I think it was just kind of negligence there. Um, what, I, what I would say is... Did they have stock? I, I honestly don't know if they did on their website. Because I have multiple people including Cortex and others that literally watched it change from out of stock. I mean, from notify me to out of stock in a second. And they can like, you know, you can look at the website code and it literally just said null instantly. I don't know that it was there. Maybe that was bots. It probably was. But if they had stock on their website, it was almost nothing. Like almost nothing. I almost got a 3090 on Newegg. I was actually up early enough for that. No, I don't think they really had any on their website. (laughs) 
Uh, I think I, they did, but not that many. Very little. I, like, we, uh, like I said, they would. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they sold some on their website, but that is <laughs> that that's insane. The, the stories I've heard of how fast it, it got, quote unquote, sold out. <laughs> Yeah, he does also ask, can you give reveal the numbers you had for launch units? No, I can't yeah. say the exact number. What I can say, and I've kept saying before, is it's like, it's it's less than like 20,000 guys worldwide. So divide that by three continents, three regions, I should say. I mean, yeah, it's it, nothing. It, it, it was going to sell out almost instantly regardless. Yeah. Doc Mechanics writes in and he says, RDNA 1 versus 2 instruction sets. Back last year, we often heard references to RDNA 1 being held back by retaining the GCN instruction set on the RDNA processor. It was said that RDNA 2 would be the first GPU to move to the entirely new instruction set that fully utilizes this architecture. My query is, in recent analysis of RDNA 2, we hear the common clock CUs, memory bandwidth, maybe some IPC, but where is the mention of the instruction set about some possible IPC improvements from that? Although, yeah, he puts in parentheses, that's not what IPC is. And I know Carbon Cry, our technical editor, is stabbing his ears right now how much we're butchering mentioning IPC. Um, a year ago, there was more fuss made, and I was given the impression that instruction set matching was going to unleash Navi. I've not heard one of the tech tubers even mention it, for a while, uh, and and well, yeah, this time RDNA gets its own optimized code to run. Oh, so I mean, I, I really do think, and there's, I think I'll say this in my video that RDNA one, they, the, you know, RDNA two is a bit above what they intended the original RDNA launch to be, but they really are moving to an ambitious gaming architecture with RDNA, and so they had problems, and they said, here's what we're gonna do. We're going to make this kind of an RDNA 0.5 between GCN and RDNA so it can run the same code so we don't have launch days where some games just aren't even running. And then we're also going to cap it at the mid-die, right? Because they had a 64 CU die because we know we can keep that one's power usage under control, at least to a reasonable degree. And so I think that did happen, and I think it hasn't been completely unleashed yet until we have the consoles out and games built for the consoles and RDNA 2. I do think RDNA 1 is going to age pretty goddamn well, kind of like GCN 1.0 did. Um, having said that, <clears throat> I know there were some cuts made, so I don't know how well. Will it run better once everything's building around this RDNA architecture? Yes, but I don't know. You know what I mean, Dan? I don't, yeah. I, I, I don't know how effective it's going to get of a boost compared to like RDNA 2, which is the full envisioning of this architecture and a little bit more, which I'll get to that in the video. RDNA 2 also strikes me as a step <laughs> towards RDNA 3. So, which, duh. <laughs> <laughs> that is how architects, uh, uh, architectural advances work. <laughs> yes. All right, so story number three, we've been alluding to it for a while now, <laughs> but uh, it's time we finally dig in. Uh, Geoforce RTX or GeForce, GeForce RTX 3080 sees increasing reports of crashes in games, drivers, and inadequate AIB designs. I mean, honestly, I'm going to quote parts of several articles here from video cards, and I think I have one from WCCF Tech and Tech Power Up. Links will be in the description. You know, before we started recording this, Dan, you were like, should we add? And it's like, we have to stop at a certain point. Yeah. Adding updates from AIBs. It's just a mess. So here's my summary as of now. This, and this comes from video cards. This now clearly widespread, but still uncompletely explored issue 
appears in a certain group of games when the boost clock exceeds 2 gigahertz. As soon as the clock speeds reach a certain level, the game crashes to desktop. There's currently no official statement from any board partner as of the writing of this article, but ComputerBase have confirmed that they are in contact with the manufacturers. They were unable to reproduce this issue with at least three of the custom models they have. But then this comes later. As it turns out, MSI and Asus have changed parts of the design of their RTX 3080 products, and they attempted to do so quietly, but we can already see they're like sending out cards where they like fixed capacitors or something else. Uh, honestly, again, I'm having a trouble summarizing all of it because there's so much coming out at once. Um, and then NVIDIA has today released the latest iteration of its game-ready driver with the version number 456.55, marked as a WHQL release, not a beta. The driver is supposedly going to bring new advancements to stability of the latest RTX 3000 series Ampere graphics cards, which I have heard people say it did help stability a lot. I mean, honestly, I don't even know where to start. I think it was Colorful released a fixed BIOS that all it did is clock the card lower. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. <laughs> so that tells you something there. Um, additionally, when it comes to the two gigahertz thing, it's like, well, again, you guys, again, so I know, for instance, the Fury Nano, although a quote unquote 150 or 200 watt card would have amperage spikes to the equivalent of like a 350 watt card. And if you had a low power, small form factor power supply, which some people did, we dealt with this with our cousin, Dan, remember, Mm -hmm. it could crash it. So I think that's part of it there too, is like thinking you have an adequate power supply, but not realizing you're cutting it close. A lot of the models that have problems were only two 8-pin models with AIBs. I really think it's it's a combination of multiple things. I think that NVIDIA rushed out Ampere, then also is planning kind of a forced scarcity, but on purpose because they kind of would have it anyways. So that's kind of the impression I'm starting to get. But that means the drivers aren't as mature as they should have been. Really, this launch should have been, I'm going to be honest, the launch should have been in October with good availability. It shouldn't have been this ridiculous for scarcity, broken driver situation. But at the same time, part of that ultimate play thing I'm referencing over and over is that the AIB cards are cheaper than the founders. There are people who are like, oh, well, the AIB 3080 here seems to outperform that, you know, the Founders Edition. It's like, yeah, it also doesn't work, you know? <laughs> so, like, uh, where there's cheap capacitors or other problems, the AIBs put a lot of money into, I believe, what I've been told are $100 coolers at least, usually, but they probably skimped on other things. The Founders Edition is being sold at cost. That's why it doesn't have as many issues, although it's still has some issues. And so it's a combination of that. AIBs, cutting corners because they're selling things at low margins and also not ready drivers. And then also, this is just a power-hungry card. So that's going to be a problem for your power supplies. And then also, this is always going to be compounded. I brought this up all the time with the AMD driver crashes fiasco. A lot of people's problems that they thought their CPU was stable, they got a 30%, 50% stronger card. And it stressed their CPU harder, and then the CPU crashed. Also, it just stresses your system harder. Your power supply regulating voltage, too. If you get a more power-hungry card, it does. You, be, you guys might be surprised, but switching components can change what voltages are stable slightly with some of your other components if you're overclocking all of them. <laughs> That's why you got to be careful overclocking everything in your system. Because once you get it 100% stable, you change one thing, I, I'm not kidding. That change in voltage regulation in the power supply might actually make it unstable. But yeah, so it's a combination of all these things, Dan. I just ra- rambled. What do you have to say? <laughs> so I think part of it is probably, yeah, like you said, maybe people have 
systems that are less stable than they think they are. They have an insufficiently powerful power supply for their card. I mean, I did also see today that EVGA put out a statement that they uh, actually pulled, not pulled their card from production, but held it after their uh, model was didn't pass a uh, real world validation. And they said that it was an issue with um, uh, the number of capacitors they were using. So yeah, there is there already is a company admitting that there is, was a hardware level issue. And so it's not clearly not just software. And it sounds like MSI, Colorful, and Asus have had their own problems too. Yeah. So clearly it's not just a software issue. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully we're wrong and it is mostly just a software issue that can be patched. But given that... But uh, it's clearly, but it's literally not for a lot of these. Yeah. So but given that can't EVG- hope, Dan. It's not. It's a hardware issue too. <laughs> But given that EVGA uh, pulled it from release so they could fix their cards, I doubt that it's <laughs> just software. And again, you know, it's like, and again, it's like, there's going to be so many people that are saying we're just hating on NVIDIA this episode, but it's like, are you kidding? How can I recommend this card? And I said this late last year when AMD was having driver problems. I don't know that I can recommend them in good faith anymore right now, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's what you got to say when these cards aren't working and you can't even get them anyways. And I also happen to know RDNA 2 is around the corner and going to challenge these cards pretty successfully, I think. I just, I think if you got a Founders Edition 3080 or 3090, congrats, it'll be fine. And it should hold its value. Probably, I'm not 100% sure on the 3090. But with that in mind, I don't. I would not be desperate to try to get these cards right now. This is a mess. I, I had one person who's a source of mine tell me that this is the most. I mean, I'm quoting him. This is the most fucked up launch I've ever seen in my life. Like, and I'm like, you've yeah. been here for like 30 years. And he's like, not kidding. It, it's at least comparable to the worst I've seen in three decades. Um, and the, the and just when you compound everything too, the driver problems, the launch problems, Nvidia's manipulation of the market. You know, the line about the performance, you know, like this is a screwed up launch. NVIDIA tried to have their cake and eat it too. They tried to come off as not overpricing or rushing anything out. And I mean, people just saw right through it. I really don't think consumers are stupid, Dan. Let me just say that too. People keep, oh, they'll buy it anyways. I don't know. Seems like there's a pretty big backlash. I think consumers are getting smarter every year. Uh, I mean, there's always this assumption that most consumers are ignorant and that that I feel like over time that just becomes less and less true. Like I have time to research these cards. I'm going to, I'm paying seven hundred dollars. I'm not just going to buy this without thinking about it. I'll say this too. I was talking to one of the bigger tech benchmarking channels. Uh, you, there's a handful you guys could guess I might be talking about. It is one of the most beloved ones of this tech channel so and you know which one i'm talking about dan and he said this whole nvidia ultimate play thing that certainly seems to be true by now is going to backfire on nvidia because he said that the rtx 3090 once we start getting more and more aib benchmarks in they're either going to use wildly more energy which tech power up found 480 watts you know for one of them yeah uh, if in Fermark. Um, especially when overclocked, 450 watts, unoverclocked in Fermark, or they're just going to be worse and cost more. Like that, the 3090 Founders Edition from his testing right now 
is just better than almost any AIB model, feels higher quality. So it really feels like the, you know, a lot of people were challenging if the 3080 Founders Edition were legitimately golden samples. I think what I'd say is this. I don't know, some AIB models might outperform the 3080 Founders, but the 3080 Founders has far less problems on average as far as we can tell. I think it used higher quality components at the very least. And the 3090, it sounds like that is just going to straight up be something where either the AIB model uses wildly more energy or the AIB model is just not as good as the 3090 Founders. And we're seeing that the AIB 3090s are are, are definitely like $1,800. I was just talking about yeah, this as well. Yeah. So. And I, I've I've seen online in forums now, like people saying, well, just make sure you you check out the model before you get an AIB card. And it's like, well, so that means I you should wait a few months to get data to make sure that this AIB model isn't a piece of crap. And then, oh, well, our DNA 2 will already be out. So you'll be able to compare it by then. Because I don't think that the data isn't all in uh, yet on which models no. are going to be shit. So don't say, well, this hasn't had a crashing issue yet. Uh, wait for it. Maybe it will at some point. And, and if you ever want to do like a, and I was saying this, you know, well, I won't say who, to another tech tuber who was talking about maybe trying to work with another tech tuber on testing my NVIDIA Ultimate Play golden sample claim, which I would actually say is the least important part of that. <laughs> the price manipulation <laughs> is the folks of the uh, article, guys. Um, you know, I said to him, if you wanted to really test this, it's not easy. Like, this isn't a joke. You know, like, my brother's a scientist. Like, you actually have to put an effort. This isn't like we tested five models. Like, if you really want to test the claims in my article, you need to get Founders Editions from launch day, at least 10, I would say. Dan would say 100, but come on, let's be reasonable here. You know, and you need to compare that against the cheapest AIB models you can get at the end of October, right? So if there's blower models that come out or something, you know, you got to test it against those because that's what I was talking about. And you need to get like four AIB models and five of each. Now you do that type of a test with like 40 different cards, like duplicates of each card you test. That's a somewhat scientific study, but you can't just take like four and be like, well, this one's better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yes, I one hundred. If you could get a one hundred, that would be a that would give you a really good sample size. <laughs> but I yeah. don't think that's necessary. I, I don't think that's you know, and it's it's just not the the point wasn't that the founders always outperforms the others. Although I think it certainly does with the thirty ninety. From what I'm hearing, the point is that it's higher quality components that cost more. That the build yeah. materials for the AIB model is about six hundred, and I believe the founders. I think the bill materials is just under 700, if not 700, <laughs> honestly. But yeah, I guess let's move on. Again, we're not trying to bash, like we're not bashing NVIDIA to bash NVIDIA. We're saying this is our honest opinion. And I can assure you, we will say the same things about Big Navi if it has problems like this. We won't hold back. But uh, all right, story number four, Gigabyte, as usual, it seems. They always leak these things. Gigabyte confirms GeForce RTX 3068 gigabyte, 3070 16 gigabyte, and 3080 20 gigabyte. Quoting from video cards, Gigabyte's Watchdogs Legion code redeeming website lists many graphics cards that have not been announced yet by the manufacturer. In fact, these cards not even being announced yet by NVIDIA. The product list features an RTX 3060 with an S in its name. So that'd be instead of 3060, or it says 306S in the SKU name with eight gigabytes. And then GeForce RTX 30, 
307s16 and then 308 you know s20 gigabyte mm-hmm. it remains unclear if the s means a super series or as our source tends to believe the ti models i think it would just denote the higher end model frankly because let me just say this. One of, my, one of my better sources just says that there is like no mentions of TIs or supers, that they wanted to simplify the product stack. So I really kind of doubt that 3060 is a super. I think it's just going to be an eight gigabyte 3060 for 399 guys. Um, that's what I think it's going to be. Uh, having And I don't see how it would be a 3080 super, right? Maybe they add a couple more SMs and faster RAM, but like, you know, then where do you place it? What does it cost versus the 3090? And I guess I could see a 3070 Ti because it's not the full die. And maybe they give it 18 gigabit per second GDR6 or maybe even GDR6X on the 3070 Ti and then give it the full SM count. But I think that would kind of make a mockery of the 3080. If the 3070 is around a 2080 Ti, the 3080 is about, you know... 30% 30% better than that. So what? They're going to release something 10% better than the 2080 Ti with more RAM than the 3080 for 600? Yeah. Uh, it, that kind of nukes their whole product stack. Although, again, I've been told 100% a 16 gigabyte 3070 is coming out. So that's for NVIDIA to solve. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, obviously, it is coming out. I mean, you know, Gigabyte just leaked it. Well, yeah. I mean, those are obviously being made. I mean, as far as the S versus zero gut naming goes i mean i would always hedge towards like you say in the notes here like i would always hedge towards it's just their internal skew like i i really don't see the place that especially like a 3080 super or ti has in this product stack like the 3090 is 10 percent better like what are you gonna yeah exactly five percent be like come on <laughs> <laughs> What, again, what I could see happening is based on final RDNA 2 numbers, which I believe is the point of the 3070 16 gigabyte and the 3080 20 gigabyte. These are meant to head off RDNA 2 from what I've been told by numerous sources. I think what you could see happening, and again, as I've said a million times, is what happened with the 1063 gigabyte, where the higher RAM model just has more SMs enabled. So you could see a situation where it's still just called a 3080 20 gigabyte, but maybe it has a couple more SMs and faster RAM. Maybe the 3070 16 gigabyte is just called the 16 gigabyte version, but it has the full SM count and slightly faster memory. Like I could see that happening. And, you know, I've had AIBs tell me, yeah, I mean, we love the extra VRAM capacity models because our four gigabyte 1050 Ti will outsell our 1063 gigabyte for about the same price, frankly, most of the time at Micro Center. <laughs> and so people just think more VRAM equals more performance. So with that mindset, and I've heard a lot of people say that, including people at AMD, like everyone's just finally acknowledged more VRAM equals more performance in most consumers' minds, or at least a lot of consumers. And so they might as well give a couple extra SMs to the higher capacity model without even calling it a new model because consumers think it's stronger anyways. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, I mean, to an extent, more RAM is <laughs> is more performance like because these cards don't have a sufficient amount of RAM. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I feel about just adding SMs and calling it the same thing. It'd probably only be a couple, like two more. Yeah, that's true. So, so, so like, if they do that and just slightly faster memory, even it's gonna be like five percent better. But what if like RDNA two? And I don't. I'm, I'm not saying it will, guys. The video's not out yet. Like, let's say RDNA two is five percent better than the 3080, and they release a model five percent better with 20 gigs of RAM instead of RDNA two 16 gigabytes. Huh? I mean, yeah, some people will buy that instead then. Yeah. 
Why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great Windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need, and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They are a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. All right, let us move on to story number five. NVIDIA will stop creating SLI driver profiles after January 2021. Quoting from Tech Power Up, NVIDIA has been limiting SLI support recently with only the RTX 3090 featuring support for the feature, and even then, only through modern APIs such as DirectX 12 and Vulkan, meaning that games must explicitly support SLI to work. NVIDIA will no longer be adding new SLI driver profiles on RTX 20 series and earlier GPUs starting January 1st, 2021. The only way to use SLI going forward will be through native game integrations, which NVIDIA will be focusing on helping developers to provide, allegedly. NVIDIA also no I added the allegedly. <laughs> NVIDIA also noted that various DirectX 12 and Vulcan games already feature native integrations such as Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Civ 6, Sniper Elite 4, Gears of War 4, and Red Dead Redemption 2. Creative and other non-gaming applications that support multi-GPU acceleration will continue to function across all supported GPUs. So what do you think about that, Dan? I mean, I like in the write-up how uh, they say, what, how many games is that? Like, oh, like six games support SLI. I mean, (laughs) SLI has been dying for a really long time. So I see why they're pulling this move. Like, no one in gaming uses it. (laughs) All right, so you want to know what I was... So I just had Dan start talking first because I wanted to look something up after uh, reading that. What do you think I was looking up quick? Uh, I'm actually not sure. What What were you? Because you at? saw that on my face, didn't you? I just yeah. while I was reading, I just went like I made a look, and then I looked away and started typing while I was reading. So I find it interesting they mentioned Gears of War four, which me and you were just playing. But Gears of War five's out. Mm-hmm. I just looked it up. Gears of War five doesn't support SLI. So in their list, they say, guys, don't worry. Developers are supporting SLI anyways natively, like Gears of War 4, when the sequel's already out and doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, not a lot of confidence from that statement, NVIDIA. Yeah, SLI is dead. Don't don't (laughs) get multiple GPUs for gaming. I I think it's it's useful in professional applications, obviously, but don't get it for gaming. With an NVLink connector, yeah. Yeah. So I I do like that little tidbit that in their own write up to inspire confidence, they they prove that SLI that, is dead. And the newest Sniper Elite, Sniper Elite Four, right? 
I think it is. Season now, because I want to check all, because we played through that. Yeah, that, that that's the newest one still. Five has been announced, apparently, by the way. So mm. be happy to have slow motion headshots with that again soon, Dan. Me and Dan like those games. And Anyways, a really bad plot. <laughs> oh, horrible plot, horrible writing. Worse than the previous one, but whatever, we had fun. Anyways, though, I mean, imagine if they said, guys, don't worry, Sniper Elite 3. <laughs> SSLI support. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And, and the fact that they're disabling it on RTX 20 series cards, I mean, that's actually news. Uh, yeah. I mean, because I saw a lot of people in the comments, right? Because they're, right? So my advice before Ampere came out was sell your 2080 Ti, which I don't re- think that was a mistake, even after Ampere being a little underwhelming. You know, you could have sold a 2080 Ti for some reason for $1,200 used about a month before Ampere came, was announced. When Ampere was announced, it spiked all the way down to below $500 for a few sales, but now it's back up a little bit. And I know some people saw Ampere and said, you know what, I'm just going to get another 2080 Ti instead. All those people are now fucked in Jan- January. Yeah, I mean, it sucks. Like, I wouldn't have advised building an SLI rig in 2020, though. Yeah. I mean, as Keemstar would say, SLI is canceled. (laughs) Garbage. Garbage. H3H3 reference for our fans. Okay, story number six. Analyst believes that a single TSMC 5 nanometer wafer costs $17,000 and TSMC 3 nanometer confirmed for 2023. Okay, according to, and I'm quoting here, I believe from TechSpot, according to CNET CSET's model, a single 300 millimeter wafer built on the 5 nanometer node at TSMC costs approximately $17,000. A similar wafer built on 7 nanometer costs about 9400 By the way, guys, in my bill of materials costs, I've been using $10,000 for wafer costs for <laughs> uh, 7 nanometers. So that's how close I've been. You guys are questioning my console bomb costs. Uh, but anyways, TSMC has had quite a good time recently. They are having all of their capacity fully booked and the development of new semiconductor nodes is going well. Today, thanks to the report of DigiTimes, we have also found out that TSMC is ramping up the production of lines to prepare for 3 nanometer high volume manufacturing. The 3 nanometer node is expected to enter high volume manufacturing in 2022, which is not that far away anymore. In the beginning, the new node is going to be manufactured at 55,000 wafers of 300 millimeter size. I think that's per month, probably. And it is expected to reach as much as 100,000 wafers per month. Yeah, by 2023, with the accelerated purchase of new EUV machines, TSMC already has all the equipment required for the manufacturing of this latest node. We are waiting to see more details on the three nanometer node as we approach its official release. So, yeah, I guess this story here, which is really a couple stories I put together, five nanometer costs 70% more than 10, uh, than a seven nanometer. And three nanometer will be ready. I mean, so think about that. So five nanometer next year. Mm-hmm. And I know there's going to be a four nanometer stopgap node in 2022. And then three nanometer in 2023. Yeah, TSMC is going to own the silicon industry pretty soon. This is insane. And when you see those wafer costs, it's like, you know, I was using about three grand to six grand for 12 to 16 nanometer in the past couple of years. Yeah, I think. I think they have cause to charge this much more. That node will be that much better. And so they're going to charge that much more while Samsung's stuck trying to compete with their last-gen node. Frankly, last, last-gen node. Well, TSMC is already pretty close to being half the market at this point, aren't they? Or <laughs> oh, yeah, they're an insane part of the market now. I don't have it next to me, but yeah. 
Like they are, they, I guess you're arguing they are, they not already almost literally the market. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what I'm implying. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's uh TSM. I'm curious when TSMC is going to slow down because it seems like they're going, they're shrinking their node, but at least their projections they're saying on a yearly basis, which is insane. <laughs> I mean, again, it's something that's been said by many others. And then also eventually by me as well, that the problems getting, and a lot of people doubted this. Remember, I won a, a bet with our friend Brock, who said seven nanometer wouldn't be here in 2019 or something. I won 20 bucks from him. I'm like, yeah, well, it's like the problems they had going from 28 nanometer to 20 nanometer to 16 have been solved. They're mm-hmm. applying these fundamentals to going to seven, 10 and seven. And then also they, got ahead of the curve by also realizing, oh, so we can't get stuck in those same design ruts we got stuck in when we were trying to get past 20 nanometer. So they they know, and there's a problem Intel had at 10 nanometer, I believe one of the materials, I don't remember which element it was, that they were using for the 10 nanometer silicon, they had problems, it just wasn't working, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and and their entire node was built around this material. So they screwed they're gonna be stuck yeah (laughs) and tsmc has realized you know if we start hitting these roadblocks maybe we just start working on other stuff ahead of time and stop assuming that we can just brute force through a barrier because maybe we can but maybe we should like look that's what that four nanometer note is they weren't so sure three nanometer will be ready by 2023 so they're like let's let's make sure we have something that's basically you know four tsmc four nanometer is to their five nanometer what samsung's eight nanometer is to their 10 does that make sense you know, yeah, yeah. So they're getting ahead of the curve. And this mentality is just, which as I covered with Daniel Nenny, the, basically the iPhone release mentality of even if it's just 20% better, we want a new note every year. It, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what else to I say. Mean, I just like doing these articles where I update you guys of like, this is where TSMC is. I mean, yeah, that's not a bad philosophy to have. I mean, I guess I'll also say I'm not 100% sure how... Um, how uh, high capacity 55,000 wafers is. I mean, I know how... How many uh, CPUs could you make with that? I guess that's. Oh, I don't know off the top a of lot, my head, but yeah, I, I guess I don't know what how. Oh, big you're that trying to compare it to is. previous capacities. Well, remember, yeah. I did that big video. That's one of my favorite ones I did, which took over a week to do, as it was a, just a boatload of research, but it turned out great. Was the AMD's 2021 five nanometer war on Intel? I think like, that was when I was being a, a hobo in your house for a while. That's right. I that was one of the videos I did while you were in the Peoria bunker. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that one, I came to the conclusion that AMD at the start of five, not AMD, TSMC, I think of them as almost <laughs> the same company now, TSMC at the start of five nanometer production will not be producing as much as where seven nanometer is now, but it will be more than where seven nanometer was when Zen 2 started to be manufactured. So okay. they're getting ahead of the curve in that regard too and going, people are going to want this and we're going to be making a lot of them. So I would say by 2022, yeah, they'll have very, very much so transitioned to five nanometer as one of their main nodes. Okay. I, you know, the last thing I'll say about it is I saw, and I don't have it at my fingertips, there was some article where it was like billions and billions, like it was like the actual number of money that's going to be poured into Samsung over the next few years from NVIDIA, mm-hmm. frankly, propping them up. So at the very least, I think Samsung should be able to keep as far behind now as hopefully, I guess I, that's what it seems like, though. At best, I think Samsung will keep pace with where they are behind now compared to TSMC. But honestly, that's pretty unlikely, too. They're probably going to slightly start falling behind more 
Uh, but hopefully, mm-hmm. at least by 2025, they're at least closer. <laughs> that's the only thing that's a, a bit worrying for the market as a whole is at a certain point, you begin to question if the other uh, fabs can catch up. Yeah, I mean, and another thing I would say about that is, I mean, look at the five nanometer. They're charging 70% more for that. You know, what most people don't understand, and I've had to explain this to a lot of friends is because it blows their minds when they hear this. When they switch to a new node for a card, it's cheaper. That's why they switched, you know? And you go, wait, but the wafers cost more. Yes, but they're like double the density usually or something. So oh, I see what you're saying. So like the 7970, right? I guess that was a bigger die problem. I think it was about the same size. Actually, it's the 6970 if I'm not wrong. Maybe a little bigger. You know, it actually cost, they, they put it on 28 nanometer because that was less expensive than trying to put that on 40. Now, this changed a bit for NVIDIA where they decided it would be cheaper to have a giant 12 nanometer die than early 7 nanometer. But remember, Turing came out before RDNA 1. So that was probably the right choice, mm-hmm. right? You know, but 70% more, it's usually not... I don't think it's usually... I don't, I don't know. That's just a lot, you know? And I know 7 <laughs> nanometer, they charge more than ever before too. So you're seeing where they're basically charging per density increase, a dollar per density increase. It's not really any cheaper. They're just saying, hey, look, if you want to be more efficient, you're going to have to come here. Okay, I, I, I get the argument you're making. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. What so else where to graphics card prices are at the end of this year, it's where they're staying, guys. Say, yeah. Yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. And it is a little worrying how much more they might charge. Like, I mean, 25 grand for three nanometer at least. <laughs> I mean, but they might go, well, you know, then don't put it on there. Yeah. Although I do know they're giving some somewhat sweetheart deals to AMD. I, Apple gets on first and Apple pays for the best. But when it comes to AMD, Apple has to, I mean, AMD has to pay for it. Don't get me wrong. But AMD is more willing to kind of get nudged onto an experimental node to help you know, kind of stress test the new wafers for mm-hmm. problems too. I mean, that's, you look at die shrinking Vega. That's kind of what was going on there, guys. It's a <laughs> pipe cleaner, as Lisa Sue called it. I, I love that term. I forgot that she called that the pipe cleaner. <laughs> Deco writes in and says, can you confirm Intel Alder Lake will be a little bigger than Rocket Lake? So, so you're asking, can I confirm the big little design? Absolutely. Absolutely. I haven't done an Alder Lake update for a while. I believe I did a full Alder Lake leak, though, that was separate from that Whispers of Golden Cove one. And then I also did, after that, the Sapphire Rapids Alder Lake combination video. Guys, highly recommend that video, by the way. I'm pretty sure it's 100% correct so far. My Intel sources have been dead on since a year ago. I mean, that was really the first company I really started getting the full scoops on. A lot of their products coming out with high accuracy. Um, I haven't updated any of it for a while because I would just be honest, I am I was focused on Ampere, now I'm focused on RDNA too, and I will be focused on a new APU video again soon, I think. And those actually take a lot of work with the APUs mm-hmm. because I, I don't remember half the crap they're launching. So I basically have to relearn their roadmaps to tell you what APUs are coming out. But yeah, I mean, since I've I've heard Alder Lake, the only update I really have is I think I assumed Alder Lake is 3D stacked. I actually don't know if I said that in the video, but I have been assuming that. And I don't think it, I think I said this in the last podcast we did. I don't think it yeah. is. I think it's just a big little design. I can confirm it. It's on 10 nanometer. And I'll be saying this in an upcoming video. I believe Tiger Lake yields, Dan, are actually at early Sky Lake yields. So, oh, fi- so Intel's 10 nanometer is a real node, guys. It's real. Tiger Lake H can't come soon enough. That's why Rocket Lake U was canceled 
which I gave everyone a heart attack on Twitter saying Rocket Lake was canceled when I meant Rocket Lake. Uh, you, the mobile version. That was a contingency plan if Tiger Lake didn't yield well. But apparently it's yielding great until there's no worries that the eight-core model will do well. I've heard there's going to be some really... They're going to market gaming laptops hard when eight-core Tiger Lake comes out. So yeah, that's all good. Alder Lake should be good. And it is a, a big little design, Deco. I really think that people are underestimating how good at gaming Alder Lake could be. Now, will it overall be better than Zen 3? Well, I think it's eight big cores and eight little cores. Is that better than just 16 big cores in Zen 3? I don't know. Maybe in gaming, but probably not in other tasks, even with this massive IPC increase. I think with Alder Lake's IPC increase of up to 20% or so, I think it could be... But yeah, so I think Alder Lake will have higher IPC than Zen 3. Should hit about the same clock speeds, I actually think. Maybe not 5 gigahertz. Pretty close. And... I think it'll be really, really low latency for those big cores. So I think it's going to be great for gaming. Um, the problem is it's going to be competing with Zen 4 effectively. <laughs> yeah, which was the what which I was will about be on five nanometer. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, that that's that's all good. I mean, I'm excited for Alder Lake, although Alder Lake's pro- at least is probably a year out. So <laughs> it's probably about a year from now. Yeah, but so. There is an Intel product that's coming out this year. And in fact, we almost forgot it came out because we're so focused on these GPU launches. Story number seven from Anantech, Intel's Tiger Lake 11th Gen Core i7-1185G7 review and deep dive, Baskin for the exotic. My quote from Anantech here, uh, whenever a new processor processor family is reviewed, it is easy to get caught up in the metrics. More performance, better power consumption, increased efficiency, better clock-for-clock gains, amazing price. Any review through a singular lens can fall into the trap of only focusing on one of those specific metrics, though. So which metrics matter more than others? That depends on who you are and what the product is for. Tiger Lake is a mobile processor, one that will be cast into the ultra-premium notebook market. This market usually desires performance that pushes as high as you can get before needing to add additional discrete components like a GPU. Tiger Lake mostly succeeds at being the top-line model for this sort of market, certainly above Ice Lake. Again, against AMD's best 15-watt mobile processors and their integrated graphics, our results perhaps at the lower resolutions were skewed more towards AMD, in all honesty, but the higher resolutions were mostly wins for Intel. It seems to vary a lot depending on the game engine. So in conclusion, it doesn't give the raw clock-for-clock performance gains that we'd like to have seen, mostly because it's almost the same design as Ice Lake for CPU cores, but the expansion of its range of performance coupled with the energy efficiency improvements make it a good product overall. I didn't uh, believe the efficiency and numbers that Intel announced on this 10 nanometer product at first, but successive tests showed good gains from both the manufacturing side of Intel as well as the silicon design and the power flow management. Not only that, the new Z low power graphics seem exciting and warrant a closer inspection in an additional article. Tiger Lake isn't sardine oil basting AMD just yet. So in other words, if you were to throw sardine oil on them, a tiger would kill them, damn. But it stands to compete well in a number of key markets. And I guess I'll just add my own notes here. 15 watt to 15 watt, Tiger Lake is about 15% better than Ice Lake. Uh, higher po- power models are 50% better, as they said it would be, but not quite as efficient as Renoir. Renoir's 35 to 50 watt models are 50% better than Tiger Lake and CPU tasks. And uh, even the eight, you know, 15 watt models tend to beat the 28 watt 
Tiger Lake and CPU tests by up to 15%, sometimes even two. In graphics, Tiger Lake's only 10 to 15% better than AMD. And it and I, at least what I saw, it, it seems to lose when you do 15 watt Tiger Lake to 15 watt Renoir. So in graphics, it's kind of a wash, maybe a slight win for Tiger Lake. Uh, and then in CPU, it's a loss. My, my honest conclusion is Tiger Lake is way better than Ice Lake, but they need it should have been six cores as standard. It really should have been. And Tiger Lake H can't come out soon enough. I, I mean, yeah, the these CPUs, they look good depending on what they get put in. I mean, they're four core eight threads, so they're already a little bit behind the curve just by the fact that they have four cores. But I think... What's really exciting is what Tiger Lake H will be, how that will compare to like the 4800U. Uh, that's that's what the interesting question will be, or the 4800H, I should say. Uh, it's really going to be competing with the 5800U, though. So that's the problem. That's true. Yeah. You know, so what I would say about Tiger Lake is um, I think they should have had eight cores out about now. It's good that its yields are going well. This is way better than Ice Lake. This is better than the Zen Plus APUs. This is better than some of the lower end Renoir APUs. You know, like the top end Renoirs beats this, but at least now Intel. Like if you put a Tiger Lake quad core in a laptop and then give me a 1650 Ti, I'm not going to throw it against a wall because it doesn't have Renoir. This is pretty good, you know, pretty mm-hmm. good. And the, But then when it comes to Tiger Lake H, I know it's going to have 32 execution units instead of 96 for the graphics portion, though. So I think the graphics of Tiger Lake H will actually only be you know, comparable to Ice Lake at best. So, But that'll be oh, good yeah. in, in gaming laptops with discrete graphics cards. It just depends. you know, If they can get Tiger Lake H out, t- paper launched in December, sweet. you know, That'll be great. But by quarter one, we're going to have Cezanne, Lucian, and Van Gogh coming out. I am working on a video on all those, by the way. <laughs> Van Gogh being the one at the bottom that's low power, that to me sounds like it can go toe-to-toe pretty much with quad-core Tiger-like. And then Cezanne and Lucian replacing what they were using Renoir for. And I think that that's going to give 8-core Tiger-like a run for its money, at least in less... I, I don't know. I could see Tiger Lake H honestly winning in gaming laptops with a discrete card. I really could. But it's, you know, it still well, feels a little too little too late to me. Well, and it is interesting to finally see now, though, that we're having a discussion of uh, of this being competitive at all because just forever Intel dominated laptops. And now it looks like AMD might be coming out with CPUs that are about as good at this about the same time and laptops at about the same power usage. So if that's not interesting. lower. Yeah, like like yeah, Van Gogh sounds like about nine watts, equi- almost I, equivalent to this. I think it might not be quite as good as quad core Tiger like Van Gogh, but I think it's going to be like ninety percent as good. Will be in a smaller die and nine watts. Yeah, so that's a com- there's a compelling reason to purchase that over, and then you'll just get Lucian Tiger if Lake. you want something directly against it, or Cezanne if you want a gaming laptop. And I think Cezanne, it's hard to say. You know, I think I do actually think there's a chance gaming eight core Tiger Lake could narrowly beat Cezanne in gaming notebooks. I actually do, but it's mm-hmm. going to be a narrow victory, and I know which one's cheaper to make. Yeah, talking about gaming performance is just kind of interesting with all of these because. If you want to game, you can game with all of them, is the way I would put it. 
Yeah, and, and in a significantly better way than before. I remember when I went to my Whiskey Lake NV13 with an MX250, I found that uh, the fact that the Whiskey Lake quad core boosted about 20% higher than my previous, I believe it was KB Lake R quad core, mm-hmm. that got me higher frame rates in games with just four cores. You need every little bit of clock speed that you can get. And when I look at Renoir benchmarks that are trading blows with your 2700X, Dan, it's just, I'm jealous. But you have a Renoir laptop now which is about equal to your desktop processor. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's pretty damn similar to my desktop processor. It's ridiculous, you know, where we're at now. And the fact that we're just going to get even better early next year, at the very least, is exciting. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) I guess the final takeaways I would say from looking at Tiger Lake reviews is Intel successfully clawed back some of the performance dearth they had against AMD. But this is not like Ice Lake versus Zen Plus APUs. Ice Lake, at the very golden samples, was a better than Zen Plus APUs in laptops. It was. It was better. And, and, it was, and they had stuff that basically mashed AMD's 12 nanometer mobile APUs across the board. Now, they haven't caught up. They've just kind of caught up to the mid-range Renoir. Um, I mean, yeah, well, having some unique it. features it has still, and and it's not going to be until they get out an eight core Tiger Lake that will still sacrifice some gaming performance for integrated graphics that they will be able to say they can match it. And by then, AMD will have other stuff out. They, again, I think the bit most important thing to know is that it, Intel isn't sitting still in laptops at least, and yeah. that it sounds. I'm happy to hear their yields are. Getting up to where 14 nanometer is not, it won't ever be like, I don't know what percentage yields there are now, probably 100. You know, it's not going to get there. But I do, I really do think that they're going to get to early 14 nanometer yields, if not, if not eclipse that. And that because they're accelerating Alder Lake as much as possible, and I know Alder Lake will also be used, there will be versions of Alder Lake that replace what Lakefield does, by the way that mm. I think we could at least hopefully mid to late next year have Alder Lakes that can actually go against Rembrandt. I actually think we might get back to a tit-for-tat situation late next year in laptops, though probably not desktop. I mean, yeah, that's better for laptops. I mean, at least I'll have a more interesting market with laptops than, I don't know, what it's slowly turning out. I, I still think Intel is keeping desktops. it just barely enough where AMD yeah. can't completely go mad with power. And, but if Alder Lake fails, AMD, I think, can go mad with power. Um, I mean, yeah, I agree. Like, Tiger Lake, if Tiger Lake H would have came out at the same time as this came out, it would be a far more interesting discussion. But where it is now, AMD still has to try to remain competitive. They can't just run away with the market. Yeah, which is, I mean, just very important. Moore's Law is arrived, writes in. I see what you're doing. I think he changed his name recently to that, too, just to mess with us, Dan. Uh, he says, what are your thoughts on Intel's naming scheme, such as the, and he just puts a bunch of random letters and numbers. I believe that's the name of a real SKU, otherwise known as the 11th Gen Core i7. I mean, I don't know, right? I don't, you know, when they announced, I, I watched their Tiger Lake unveiling thing, which I believe was a, cu- a few weeks ago already. And I remember them like, we're continuing our existing brand with a new modern look or something. And all they really did is change their brand logo for i7s and they added Evo. I I don't know. I think the naming scheme's a mess. I think they're not sure what to do with it yet. It makes sense if you're a manufacturer. Like you look at i7-1185G7, you know exactly what that processor is, I'm sure. 
Yeah. Which is probably helpful for those people, but for consumers, it's a mess. Having said that, you go to Apple's website. For the past 10 years, all Apple's website has said is 4 gigahertz i7 anyway. So I don't think most consumers pay attention to the real name anyways. Yeah, I, I do wonder how much it matters a lot of the time because the tech tubers and the people that follow tech tubers like really, really pay attention to like the product names and code names and whatnot. When really a lot of that is just kind of, it's not inter- like meant com- to be completely internal, but it's just kind of a way to refer to a specific item number. A lot of people don't really give a shit about that. They're just going to see, oh, um, 11th gen i7, 3.6 gigahertz or whatever, and they're never going to need to know the model name for this i7. Yeah, I think there's no way around it, though. If Zen 4 crushes Intel into the dust, they need to, whenever they do swing back hard, if they do, they need to change naming schemes, which... I think it's actually somewhat unlikely because I'm sorry, the i7 brand is incredibly important. Like everyone, I mean, it's a thing. I have an i7, but I do wonder if in a couple of years they'll want to reinvent that. Or at the very least, what they should do is just start over from square run, like i7 100. You know, we're starting from scratch. Because the naming scheme, I like it, but it's just getting so bloated and out of date that they either need an entirely new naming scheme or they need to start over and really rethink what they're doing with all these. As uh, Moore's Law is Alive points out random numbers and letters, it seems, at the end of the name. Well, yeah, I mean, what, the i7 branding, it's getting pretty old and there is always going to be a come to a point where the branding gets a little bit confusing if you just keep the brand going for that long. It's been a valiant effort. We haven't yeah. seen them changing their names as often as Radeon does, where they seem to, as we keep making fun of, randomly change their graphics naming structure every couple of years. Well, yeah. And I mean, they do that to not confuse us. Yeah. So I guess that's a good point. There is another side to this coin, the complete opposite, which is what Radeon does. Yes. <laughs> All right. Moving a bit away from desktop here, we can move on to story number eight. PS5 I.O. system to be supercharged, and that's what the word they use, by Oodle Texture, bandwidth goes up to 17.4 gigabytes per second. Quoting from WCCF, the partnership with Oodle will allow the PS5 to go much further when it comes to bandwidth peaks and compressed data. According to Oodle, the previous 8 to 9 gigabytes per second quoted by Mark Cerny for the I.O. bandwidth figure was provided by Sony by multiplying 5.5 gigabytes per second peak bandwidth of the SSD compression ratio to 1.45 to 1 or 1.64 to 1. However, when factoring an Oodle crack and an Oodle texture, the developers of the technology have seen an impressive compression ratio of 3.1 six to one for a texture set in a recent game this would translate into an io bandwidth peak of 17.38 gigabytes per second as mentioned in the headline i didn't put the rest of the article where at the end they go like we don't know how if this will affect performance guys it will i don't know what wccf tech's vendetta is against the ps5 but (laughs) yeah i mean uh, this popped up a while ago. I mean, what was your reaction to seeing this? Which I, Let me ask you this. Have you seen anything from Oodle? Because I actually had developers pointing me to Oodle for a while. I don't know if I... Yeah, I don't think I'd heard... I don't think I've ever seen Oodle brought up before, honestly. I think I had heard a- about how the uh, like theoretical bandwidth of the PS4... I mean, PS5 can go get up to like 18 gigabytes per second, though. And I, I never understood where that came from. 
but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's <laughs> they're really get Sony's really getting a lot out of that 5.5 gigabyte per second SSD. Yeah, I, I I guess what I would say is a few things. For a while, <laughs> there has been cer- a certain group of fanboys that kept screaming BC Pack at me. Yes, and I kept saying, well. If everything was textures, basically BC Pack allows you to get up to six gigabytes per second, but that 4.8 gigabytes per second is on average what will be being moved by the Xbox Series X's I.O. Now we know that if you properly use this, this is Sony's version of BC Pack, and it allows up to 17.4 gigabytes per second. So guys, stop screaming BC Pack. The uh, the SSD in the PlayStation Five is three times faster when you're streaming textures. This is this is a joke to compare them. It's as the the guy that worked on the SSD told me. This is apples to oranges to compare the Xbox's SSD and I/O to the PS5s. It's entirely different leagues, guys. Entirely different leagues. And I know the Kraken can handle over 20 gigabytes per second, um, and now we can see why because it has to be able to handle moving textures at this data rate in certain scenarios. Yeah, I don't know why the the two keep getting compared. The PS5 and Xbox Series X is IO. They are completely, as you said, completely different leagues. One is three times stronger. And once again, I keep going back to the point that we keep making. The only difference in performance on between either console is a that is bigger than a marginal differences is the PS5s with three times now faster io as it turns out yeah that's a point you keep making you're saying we're fixating on like a four five percent higher cpu clocks or 18 percent more teraflops and and then people just ignore the ability to stream in assets at triple the speed (laughs) yeah i know and it's like once again oh well what does that mean oh so it loads in uh a tenth of a second instead of half a second or something yeah it loads in a tenth of a second or a quarter of a second think what that means you can constantly be loading i just don't know how many times we have to say go back and watch the road to ps5 video where mark cerny literally said our design goal was to be able to load in assets faster than you can turn your character around thus meaning we have to render less objects at once and save a ton on performance that's Mm -hmm. True, people. (laughs) That Horizon Forbidden West um, trailer is what the game's gonna look like on the PS5. We can't... I I mean, I don't know how many times we gotta say this. I mean, the only other thing I would say is that I do know... I I, um, reached out to a developer about this, and he said, on top of the already compressing the size of games due to using an SSD, which is when you look at some of the Call of Duties are usually the worst offenders, but there's like freaking over 100 gigabytes in size. Or we just played yeah. Gears of War 4. It's like, what, 130 gigabytes? That's because they're duplicating assets for hard drives to be able to seek them next to each other. Literally like drawing a map of the game. That's why file sizes are so big. We could easily see next-gen games on SSDs, whether Xbox, PlayStation, or PC, have half the size if it's the same game because they don't need to duplicate textures. And in fact, to be inefficient too, you'd want it in one location to load from each time. But on top of that, this developer says, you know, this Oodle texture is actually, the way it works 
is it doesn't just accelerate streaming and textures, but it does it from a compressed state, meaning games should be another 10% smaller, at least on top of already saving space on not duplicating assets. Meaning mm-hmm. the PlayStation 5's game sizes should be smaller. The, I, I mean, I'm really hoping... I'm really hoping that's oh, I'm true. sure there and will still that, be some games that are 100 gigabytes. But I, I'm sure Call of Duty will figure out how to make their games 100 <laughs> gigs still. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, so I don't know. I mean, do you have anything else to say about this? I thought we did have to cover this because it's quite exciting. And, and, and again, I guess, I'm sorry, I, I'll say just to like, dispel some things. Like there's been some people like, well, this is interesting, but it, I don't know if it'll affect any launch games. Someone said that in my Discord. I'm like, dude, I knew about this months ago. I just didn't have an exact number. This w- and, and they literally say in this press release, in current games we've seen, it's in the games already, guys. Will all third-party games, party games maximize it? I don't know. But I had developers pointing me, and I again, I had developers pointing me to Oodle and their website months ago. Months ago. Yeah. So developers have been aware of this for a while. This isn't like some new thing. No, it's just getting pressed now for some reason. Well, we haven't even seen a die shot for the PS5 yet. Yeah, that's true. It's probably for a reason, guys. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> Watch my past videos for what those reasons probably are. Well, that is the final story. So I guess let us just get into some final reader mails here. Root Knight writes in and he says, Would you bet $20 that by December of this year, we'll have several y- videos on YouTube featuring console killer gaming PCs that just put in a QLC SATA SSD and a four-core eight-thread CPU? Absolutely, I bet that happens. I'm not taking that bet. Or would I bet $20 that happens? Yes. I can't wait for shitty tech uh, websites writing those articles again. It's going to be awesome. They're going to say, well, yeah, you can build it for $500 if you use this, buy this used GPU with a broken fan on it. And (laughs) it's going to nail it. Those potato masher builds around the launch of last gen where they were like, you just nailed this. They literally nailed like a 750 Ti to a board of wood. You want your computer to give you splinters. So I do like that they're just nailing it to a board of wood. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, Root and I, yeah, we're going to see that again. They'll just throw in an SSD. Or, I mean, let's be honest, some of them will just put in a, a PCIe 3.0 SSD and pretend it's equivalent. It's not. <laughs> you know, and I don't know. It's just, it happens every well, gen. And it's never going to stop happening. I got, I mean, and again, and I, I get to gloat a bit about this. I get to gloat because I said the P, the the consoles will not be $500, and the digital version of the PS5 will at most be $400, and I was right. Dead on the money with the pricing of the Xbox. I said the Xbox Series S will be $300 or less as well, and it was. So this wasn't guessing. I did the bill of materials, and I'm like, they can make a profit and sell it at this price. And by the way, guys, the PS5 disc version is making a slight profit. I'm, it is. Like, and that's how marked up do-it-yourself stuff is. And every gen, for some reason, tech reviewers don't get that through their heads. And I, I don't know how many console gens we need before they get that, but <laughs> they'll never get that because those headlines generate clicks. So I want to tell some people what they want to hear. I guess what I would say is, do you think they would have done it for no reason, guys? These aren't dumb companies. Microsoft and Sony put SSDs in their consoles for good reason. And from what I've heard from developers, they were begging them to do this for the PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. and They were like, even if it's just 100 gigabytes, do it. Please, please don't make us have to do another gen of hard drives. And I'll just say, thank God we're finally 
putting the final nail in the coffin of hard drives. Well, again, the final nail will be when SS when SATA SSDs oh, yeah. start getting to a similar cost as hard drives per gigabyte, which some people say, no way. And I'm like, there are only it's one almost, more shift and it's almost yeah, it's there, almost guys. There. And yeah, I know there will be some that are way more, but you know, for the for most drives, it's it's getting pretty close already. I mean, I don't know. I I could probably find like a it depends on what capacity it is, because at yeah. a certain point, lower capacity hard drives aren't going to be made any cheaper than the larger ones because of material costs, though. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. I bet I could probably find like a terabyte hard drive at this point for like 30 bucks. But Trav Hogan writes in and he says, hi, Tom, I hope you and yours, I assume you're yours, Dan, are doing well. Thank you for getting to my DLSS 3.0 question and die shrink 28. I have a follow-up in regards to AMD's upscaling chip, which I assume is responsible for checkerboard rendering. You mentioned that's included in the previous gen consoles. Yeah, at least I know the yeah, I know the the launch PS4 and Xbox One had some pretty decent upscaling chips, especially the launch Xbox One, because they knew they would need it. And then I know the PS4 Pro also had a really, really impressive upscaling chip because Sony knew it would certainly need it because it wasn't running games in native 4K usually. So yeah, I mean, the original Xbox One and the PS4 Pro both did. I'm sure the Xbox One X also had an impressive one, although that could certainly run games in more nat- closer to native 4K more often. Um, and those were really, but he continues, those were released in 2016 and 17 respectively. If AMD had established this upscaling chip during those years, why have they left it out of their recent GPUs as of now? Wouldn't this have been a prime candidate to be included in the 5700 XE to combat DLSS early on? If so, do you believe AMD dropped the ball by not including it? Or did they just not believe in the DLSS proposition at the time? As you've reported, AMD is taking DLSS seriously now that they are. And I'm wondering what has potentially changed their mindset, if at all. All right, so there's a few things too. Uh, oh, he says, love you, what you guys do, and best regards. Well, thank you, Hogan. We love that you love what we do. And uh, that came out weird the way I said that. I said that in like a robotic way. Anyways, though, there's a few things you said, Trav, that need to be addressed. So first of all, when it comes to taking it seriously, absolutely, when DLSS started, it was a meme. People were making fun of it. Like the blurry mode filter. But something happened clearly in early, like in late 2019, where it started to work in some games, especially in 2020. And, you know, so in terms of taking it seriously, I mean, they would have to be by now for that reason alone. Additionally, when it comes to like putting these dedicated chips, I'm going to be honest, guys. I don't know why they haven't done this a while ago. Um, I, I think Linus, Te- yeah, Linus Tech Tips did this one review of like a $70 HDMI cable that has to be powered to use. And I got one because he found that it actually successfully added times to MSAA with a built-in ASIC in the HDMI cable to console games. I tried it on an old PS3. This was like four years ago. Mm-hmm. It works. It worked. It did work. I compared it. Like, it straight up added a certain level of like, not a ton of AA, but it did for free add times to MSAA to my PS3 games. Like, it just did. And I w- And it even added it to like, it would upscale, I believe, 1080p footage to like 4K through Hulu and stuff. And I was blown away by this. And I went, wait, what the hell? Why hasn't AMD added this? Like, I don't know, right? Does it add $50 to the bill of materials? Probably not. Probably 20 I don't know. I think this is common sense. 
to add a dedicated upscaling free MSAA chip. I mean, if you do something like that, that's effectively DLSS anyways. Um, Outside of that, you know, do you, I think they'll do something like that. Honestly, from what I've heard, it kind of sounds like they're just going to have a new algorithm they've worked on with that's been informed by the things that have been put into the consoles. That is a combination of sharpening, sharpening and upscaling. Do I know if it's baked into the silicon at all as a dedicated part of it? I don't know, but that's what I think their solution is, which is basically what DLSS is, if we're being honest, guys. Yeah. I mean, half of those games, like, I think they called Control DLSS 1.9. Guys, it's it's upscaling. It just has a really good algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess the only other thing I could think of with having, like, a dedicated upscaling chip, I imagine that would increase latency latency to an extent, or maybe I'm wrong, but that's the Right, see, I, I don't know, right? I don't know if it did with my ASIC HDMI cable, right? But mm-hmm. I think Linus found that it was minimal. Okay. Like, it adds some, but it's like, yeah, but that's also something kind of focused on console players. You can't tell me if AMD put in the effort, they couldn't come up with something that wasn't much more latency. That's true. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think that that has to be some... That would be a good counter, and until we see what it is, Trav, we just have to keep going. I don't know why they're not doing it, guys. I think they should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> um, anyways, VI Pass writes in and he says, game consoles, digital editions. The digital edition consoles may seem cheaper, but there may be unforeseen costs from the consumers. Even if you have broadband internet connections, many internet providers may have data caps on your internet before incurring extra costs, or you may have to increase to the next tier package to get unlimited internet. Many providers, including cable and fiber providers, have one or two terabyte monthly limits before extra costs are incurred. And they, and they do, guys. A lot of you don't know this. You have data limits. They just don't tell you even. Um, but with streaming, high-resolution video 4K, gaming, and downloads, it is really easy to burn through those caps. My household alone utilizes close to five to seven terabytes in a month on average. With the smaller drive of the Series S being the worst offender, swapping games could be definitely push those limits. So both the Xbox Series well, S and X, and the PlayStation 5, I believe, are going to let you download games to external drives. Now, you won't be able to play next-gen games off of them, but you will be able to then load the drive into your console. So I think both PlayStation and Xbox allow that. So that's worth pointing out. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, I, I, it's a giant problem for the Series S that has 500 gigabytes, installs a version of Windows. I think you're going to be installing even with, we assume, right? compressed yeah. game sizes from it, you having an SSD. I think you're putting two games on that before you need to delete it or something or move it on to a USB. Now, the PlayStation yeah. 5 game sizes take up less space than the Xbox, and it has 825 gigabytes, not 500. So again, I think what I would say is I agree completely with the sentiment of people are disregarding this a little too much. Um, I do think it's something to consider when you're buying these consoles. Having said that, um, I'm sorry, guys. I know the PlayStation has 800 gigabytes and the games take up less space. So it just depends. I think it's less of a problem for the one terabyte and 800 gigabyte versions. And I I don't know really what to say, except that it is something people should take into account for sure. I mean, yeah, and with uh, especially like the Series S, I feel like I feel like the 512 gigabyte, that's getting to the point where that's going to be an issue for a lot of people in like six months i mean if not immediately at the series s let's move on yeah. to another reader mail 
FE02X writes in and says, Hey, Tom and Dan, do you have any more information on the availability of RDNA 2 cards when they launch? Do you suspect that the AMD cards will be sold out as quickly as their NVIDIA counterparts, especially with AIBs releasing their cards in 2021? How do you know that they definitely are for RDNA 2, guys? Uh, I'm planning to upgrade to a new PC in November, December. Thanks for all your efforts. I discovered you in April, and so far your info and analysis has been spot on. I think we've been pretty good since then. There were uh, some mistakes last year, for sure. (laughs) Gave me a much better understanding, both technically and in marketing terms. Have a great time. FEO2X out. Yeah, I mean, I would say that RDNA 2 cards will have decent availability at launch. Now, what does decent mean? Are they going to sell out? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They always do. <laughs> They're going to, but it's not going to be some bullshit launch. In fact, Frank Azor on Twitter confirmed it wasn't going to be. So I'm not too worried about that. In terms of AIB cards, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure AIBs will be able to get their models out before the end of the year. But I have recently heard some indications that they might get them out sooner than you think. But hmm. I, I would just say, yeah, it might be AMD only at first, and that their coolers will be fine. I wouldn't worry about them. So in a nutshell. Better availability, and I wouldn't worry about the launch coolers with AMD. They should be good this time. Yeah. <laughs> the Stickbug Syndicate writes in and says, Hey, Tom, do you believe we'll see Navi, Chungus, and Storves before November 10th? <laughs> Probably. That's my answer. It'll be, out before, <laughs> it'll be out before Thanksgiving, guys. RDNA 2 should be out before Thanksgiving. Let me write that down as a timestamp. That's definitely something everyone's going to... Skip two. You're going to want to know. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Sideburns writes in and says, do you think that the 80 CU die being cut down to 60, how do you know it's 80? It is. Uh, for lower SKUs is due to a large cash on the die. The jump from 80 to 60 seems quite big. I can't think of why they would cut it down so much unless there were a lot of dies that are defective. Well, you have to remember, why would you cut down a die? You know, maybe the top dies, I'll explain in my video, is for compute, and then they cut it down for higher clock speeds for gamers. Also, maybe they've decided to make it more than 60. Maybe you'll have to (laughs) wait and find out, guys. Um, Eric writes in, Eric, I would say, writes in and says, do you think uh, RDNA 3 will have an IO die? Yes, it will. will, uh, And then also have split chiplet GPU design? Not so sure about that. Or is it just an IO? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, RDNA 3 should have an IO die. All indications are that it will. And so should CDNA 2, if not CDNA 1. I don't think CDNA 1 will. Um, and I, it, I have, I'll, again, the way I answer this, I have no evidence they have multiple GPU chiplets next to the IO die. I do know they have an IO die for RDNA 3. I, I just don't know if they've, you know, there's reasons you would want an IO die to split up the die anyways, even if you didn't use multiple chiplets. But I think I'd give it a, I'd give it a decent chance it's multiple GPU chiplets though. Why not, right? Like, yeah, you would think I, they'd, if they were going to go forward with this, they would have at least some model with multiple. I mean, I think that's in the future. That's definitely, I don't know. I wouldn't put money that it's RDNA 3, but. Oh, that's yeah, that, that's the end goal. George Cosmo writes in and says, Hello, y'all. This is Cheesecake16 from the Moore's Laws Talking Discord. And I guess I have three questions, really. Number one, do y'all. That's the word, y'all. Do y'all think that RDNA 3 and CDNA 2 are going to be chiplet-based using 3D stacking? Yes, I think so. I'm not 100% sure on everything you said, but I think probably, yeah. Number two, what interconnect will NVIDIA use for the MCM GPU? 
Mm, I don't know, but I think they've already given Hot Chips presentations where they were showing off an early version of it. So look into that. And then number three, do you think we are going to see server APUs where we have CPU and GPU chiplets on the same die using stacked HBM? Yes. <laughs> Knocked yeah. it out of the park, Dan. Answered all those questions pretty confidently, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's coming. Yeah. I don't know when, but it's coming, guys. And I know that they've done some behind-closed-door presentations on what they're working on, which, you know, you might go, why would you need, you know, like an epic size chip that has the GPU, HBM, and CPU on there? But I, when, I, when it's mentioned to server people, they're like, oh, we could put that in a very thin server blade with one heat sink cooling the GPU and CPU together with low latency. Please give us this now. I mean, yeah, it, it immediately makes sense why people running servers would want that. Yeah. Um, well, Dan, that's all the reader mail. Uh, I think we got a little angry and ranty around certain portions, especially the Ampere one. But what can we say, guys? We're just being honest. We, uh, uh, You know, when I was hyping up Ampere, a lot of the information I had was correct, but I didn't know it would be... Again, a lot of these smaller details... I didn't know NVIDIA was going to do pricing manipulation. And <laughs> I mean, I didn't know GDR6 was going to end up as kind of a bust. Uh, and, and with what we know now, I just can't recommend it that well, uh, that much, at least not until RDNA 2 is out. Because as much as I think there's a pricing floor in Ampere, I think some of those cards will get price cuts. I mean, depending on what AMD responds with, Price they might just have the to. Option. Yeah. You know, NVIDIA might just have to try to absorb that. Although I think NVIDIA is going to try to avoid doing that before the holiday season. They'll want to report good things on their earnings, which I believe is late October. Hmm? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, why would um, they flood the channel in October, Dan, right before earnings? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know why they would do that. <laughs> but I don't know, Dan. I think we hit everything. You know, I think for as much as we tried... To not talk about RDNA 2, we still ended up talking about it a bunch before my big video comes out. Um, is there anything else to talk about, Dan? Any other final words for our dear listeners? No, uh, just that, yeah, you definitely dropped in some not-too-subtle RDNA 2 references into this podcast. <laughs> like my subtle PlayStation 5 exclusives hints in the uh, last eye shrink. Yeah, that was really subtle as well. I was like super subtle about how solid some of those exclusives could be. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, guys, if you want to listen to that die shrink, remember it is provided to our Patreon supporters. Our patron supporters keep this make this possible, reduce the amount of ads, and frankly, you get ad-free and early access to all of our podcasts there, including die shrinks that are only for patrons every other week. And then you also get hits and gems and flyer states early. It's and gems is also Patreon only. Um, you also get to submit reader mails like you've been hearing this whole episode. And you also get all different types of things. We're so, so generous to all of you supporters. I don't know why I decided to turn into an asshole at the end there. But no, well, we do really appreciate to. all of you. And of course, if you can't support us, please share our content. All of you people in Trinidad and Tobago and Mozambique and Finland are certainly helping out a lot. And South Africa. I just South told- Africa has just started pulling its weight as right. of this week. So I guess from Dan's perspective, it's, I mean, about time, guys. I've been waiting. I've been saying every episode, where's South every, Africa? Every time before we start recording a broken silicon, Dan's like, if they haven't fucking jumped up a few spots, I'm going to go ballistic. Yeah. And you finally have, so thank you. Yeah, you finally pulled your weight, guys. Finally pulled your weight. But uh, yeah, so 
Thank you for listening, whether in the free feeds or not. We appreciate all of you. We will have more guests and episodes coming up soon. Stay safe out there, people. And thanks for listening. Bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim Bollocks, Joshua Albin, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Craston, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, D. Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sather Sather, Isaiah Gosner, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Hector Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Drita Full, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Job, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, George Danforth, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Carrie Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Cyanora, Alenia, Joshua Stavenis, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Castillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Mac, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, MacDo 226, Zebra Zebur, Slicky, Matt Porsegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Goranadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Quinoas Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquin Hagen, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Calm Marco, Deke, DHR Taumach, Raul Abeneni, Cheesy Ramen, Jake Dude 23, uh, Brian Riggleman, Maxime Bratukin, Ryan Deniskew, Dave McCoy, Falco Malev, Masseurs, Paul Bogdan, Morton Svensson, Andrew, Thomas Somers, Maurice 
Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Mose from Oz, My Sharona, Derek File, Roman, Jacob, Stan Kawezik. Sorry if I got that wrong. Jack Pym, Austin Tannis, JPB, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 